Hello and welcome to Watch It Baptist Church Online. My name's Mike, I'm the pastor at WBC and you are very welcome in joining us for this, the latest in our series called Being Church. This one is about worship. We're going to be reading just a single verse from Romans as a kickoff in a moment, but we're going to pray before we do that. Let's pray. Father God, we ask that your grace and goodness would be with us. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would uh, know you as a prompt, uh, as, an, as an inspiration in our lives, that we might turn to you and focus on you. Holy Spirit, we ask your help in keeping our minds clear of distractions and able to probably put our roots down in what the Bible is telling us in this session and from this verse. We pray uh, all these things in the name of Jesus, who is our brother and our saviour, our friend and our judge. Amen. So I'm going to begin by reading the same verse twice in two different versions. I'm going to start with the NIV. Uh, we are in Romans 12, chapter 1, and it goes like this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I'm going to read the same again, but this time from the New Living Translation. I'm going to take the opportunity just to highlight a couple of the section sort of paragraph headings that come just before this. Not because those headings are the Bible themselves, they're not, they've been added later, but just to give us a sense of what's come in the run up to this verse. So uh, the NLT version has um, sections called Salvation is for Everyone, God's Mercy on Israel, God's Mercy is for Everyone. And then chapter 12 starts with this verse. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Now, two different ways of reading the same passage can be a really helpful thing as we look at how different translators have worked with the original uh, Greek text in this context. It's New Testament, so it's Greek. Um, we get a, a rounded sense of what's being said. It's, it's a useful thing to call on different translations. It may be that you don't have several. Uh, it may be that you only have one. If you do have access to the internet, though, uh, there's a... Um, website called Bible Gateway which has a whole load of different translations available to read um, and, and it even allows you to put them side by side so you can see what the same verse says across different places. I'm going to just very briefly touch on living sacrifice as a concept uh, and then I'm going to talk about war. I'm just going to pop this down. So living sacrifices are a really important concept here because of the contrast they give with dead sacrifices. Um, so uh, the original concept of sacrifices as a way of responding to sin uh, was that the old model for putting yourself right with God is that you would bring uh, maybe a couple of um, doves or a lamb and they would be a blood sacrifice. It could be two young pigeons too, but that sacrifice would make it possible for your sin, your wrong, the things that separate you from God, to be separated, to be taken away in the same way that the scapegoats took the sin of Israel away from the community uh, in the Exodus period. 
So, sacrificing these will carry your sin away from you. Uh, the idea of a living sacrifice is not that you become a living embodiment of something that takes sin away from you, but a recognition that because Jesus has already done that, Jesus through his death, his sacrificial death, his um, torture and execution on the cross, that has made it possible for sin to be taken away, our sin taken away from us, that we have the opportunity to be living sacrifices. We don't need to be taken away from ourselves. We can live complete and whole lives. And then to live in a way that is a response to the the grace, the option, the, the, the goodness that God has shown us through Jesus, not just through his death, but through his resurrection too. So the, option for, the opportunity for us to be living sacrifices is a response, which is why Paul writes, therefore, because he's referring back to all those bits that come in the passages leading up to this, therefore, um, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, which has been talked about a lot, this is the mercy that means that God chooses to find a way for us to be able to be reconnected with him, uh, to offer your bodies or your lives as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now I said I was going to talk about war and the reason I want to do that is because of a particular context that's happening around us now. Now we're currently getting regular news updates from Ukraine where there is a war going on between Ukraine itself, uh, Ukraine forces and Russia which is seeking to, it would seem, occupy um, chunks of eastern Ukraine or possibly even the whole country it's a little bit unclear there are impacts for us of that war yes I am still talking about Romans 1 I will get there so not Romans Romans, 1, Romans 12 verse 1 there are impacts for us of this war okay because this war provides a context for our world there are things that make a difference to us now they could be things like um the arrival of refugees in our community so that brings that makes that war a context for us it, it provides a backdrop for our lives there are other impacts too because of the amount of grain that is exported from ukraine uh, around the rest of the world and because that resource isn't available the price of um, grain-based products uh, is climbing Similarly, because Ukraine and Russia, because of the sanctions on Russia, because of its invasion, because these things are, um, are now not available, some of these natural resources are not available in the same way, gas and oil, for example, uh, that, that brings the war to us. There is a context for our lives that means that the war is a backdrop for us. So rising costs of fuel, uh, both for your car and for your home. So food prices are going up. And so are heating prices. These things are all um, linked to this war. So the war provides context. They're not the only reason they're happening, but they are a significant part of it. We live in the context of war. And that is creating some difficulties for us. However, we are not living surrounded by war. We are living in the context of war, not surrounded by war. If you live in Ukraine, particularly in eastern Ukraine or in any of the bigger cities, especially if you live or have lived in Mariupol, there is no context of war. There is presence of war. It is the very presence of it that shapes your day-to-day -day existence. 
We live in a context of war. They live in a presence of war. Now, what am I driving at here? I think part of what Paul is trying to say in Romans 12 verse 1 is to encourage people not to live in the context of mercy, but in the presence of mercy. Not in the context of God's uh, grace and goodness, but in the presence of that grace and goodness. Not in the context of an awareness of how good Jesus is and how life-changing his sacrificial life and death and resurrection are, but in the presence of those things. I, I've positioned myself here. I'm, I'm um, on the southwest coast path, just a little away from Minehead, and I've put myself in this woodland. The walk to get here was in the context of the woodland, so it was nearby. And the fact that the trees and the woods were, were close had an impact on things like um, how much of the wind was getting through and, and what creatures uh, were visible. And, and I passed a sign that said, don't feel the wild boar. So, so that is contextually woodland. Right here, I'm in the presence of woodland. I am surrounded by woodland. There is nothing, uh, on no side of me is there a gap in the woodland. I have had to sort of push my way into this space. And I think that when Paul is really encouraging us to consider how we respond to grace, he doesn't want us to just be in its context, but in its presence. And for that presence to change the way we live. If you are living in the presence of war, surrounded by war, it just, it just shapes you. You have no alternative. For us, however, there is a choice. We can choose to live in the context of God's grace or in the presence of God's grace. We can say, well, I know I am forgiven and restored and healed, and that's good. And, and I like that um, backdrop for my life. Or you can live in the presence of those things and say, I will take them with me as part of my understanding of who I am and what I do. And this, I think, is what Paul is driving at. I'm just going to repeat the verse. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So we said we were talking about worship and here we are 10 minutes in and I haven't referred to it by name yet, but I am going to now because I think that difference between context and presence is the thing that Paul believes makes us worshippers or just knowers of God. We know of God. We know about him. We might know lots about him. We might have a really good grasp of who he is and of the theology of his um, omnipotence, omnipresence mercy grace kindness but unless we live in the presence of these things then our lives aren't changed and actually god is not yet the center of who we are you can almost imagine paul saying look all this wonderful love and and goodness and compassion that god brings uh, he has shown us in a, you know with that happening what would make more sense than saying thank you and not just with your with your words or, or even with your whole heart but actually saying uh, yes God I recognize this and I will recognize it with how I live and who I am this is your true and proper worship I think Paul actually pushes a little bit harder than this it's, Romans is a very generous letter but I think he says he says something here about how the way we are and the way we live 
shows God how we value him or whether we value him and also shows the world how much of a priority God is to us. In a way, the way we live answers for others the question of do you live in the context of Jesus or do you live in the presence of Jesus? Apologies for the break in delivery there. I just discovered that in the um, not just context but presence of the woodland something had found its way up uh, off my shoe and up my sock and was crawling up my leg so I had to deal with that because it was tickling rather a lot. Um, so I'm just going to go straight on to um, uh, 1 Corinthians 9. I'm just going to read from verses 24 and 25 and there's a spider come to meet me and it says this, do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. If we're going to live, not just in the context, but in the presence of Jesus, then our lives will be worship. It won't be the case that we set time aside um, to worship. We will be worshipping with how we live. Now we will still, of course, set time aside to sing together. There's that wonderful, uh, I think Psalm 122, that talks about how joyful the writer is at the chance to go with others up to the temple, to sing and to be involved in the music and, and the playing of the instruments and just this, this enormous amount of sound that comes from many people raising their voices to, to God at once. That is a good thing. And I've, I've used it before when we talked in our discipleship series and we talked about worshiping that situation. It was 122 that we talked about to get our hand, handle on this. But what I want to, want to do separate from that is say that um, our engagement with sung worship uh, is a really good way of saying, not only do I want to worship with my life, but I want to worship with what I say and sing. There's, there, the Old Testament tells us to sing a new song to the Lord. The presence of new songs is part of how we express our thanks and our praise. The presence of um, songs that tell the story of the gospel is that we remind each other. And then we, we also have words that we remember from songs, much more very often from prayers uh, or even sometimes from scripture. And so those things are good. But what Paul is saying isn't sure you take lots of time out to sing together he's saying live life in a way that means that Jesus presence shapes you not just the context of Jesus shapes you and this is challenging because as I think I've said before it means that we're asking about what comes first in our life and what should come second or third or, or further down and I think when we live in the context of Jesus our worship ends up being somewhere in that list because we recognise it's something that we might go and do or something we might encourage others to come and share with us. Worship is a thing that we end up mostly doing together rather than the togetherness being an extension of our worship uh, from our own lives. And that does mean saying, um, yeah, our, our family, uh, our loved ones, they come second to Jesus. It's not our family that should shape us in the same way that Jesus does. Of course, our families will shape us, and it's appropriate that they do that. And sometimes our, our life circumstances will, the, the loss of a job or the loss of a loved one or the, um, 
or the changing of the politics around us, all those things can shape who we are. But we can choose, and Paul says to do so, choose to make our worship of Jesus the thing that shapes our lives, to live in his presence, not just with him as a backdrop, not just with him as a context. There are many wonderful and wonderful things that are blessings to us. Things that God has given us that we respond to with thanks. And part of the part of the uh, advantage is the wrong word. What am I thinking of? Part of the wonder of being thankful is that it does push us to worship. Not it doesn't oblige us to worship, but it just opens our hearts and our eyes a little wider to who this God is who we worship and to the fact that he's worth worshipping. You'll have come across, I'm sure, before me saying it here, that the idea of wor- the, the idea of the word of worship comes from worthiness, worship. As we worship, we identify who it is who's worth putting at the centre of our lives. We decide what's going to be on that pedestal in our lives. I am a football fan and a cricket fan and, and various other things too. I'm a, um, a fan of the NFL, of the American football or whatever else. Um, particularly when it comes to football, I'm a fan of Norwich City. And Norwich City have been relegated. It was coming, I think, probably about three games into the season. I said I thought that was probably going to happen. For me, uh, I don't live in the presence of relegation. I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm a supporter some distance away. I don't even have a season ticket. I haven't even seen them play live more than probably twice in the last five years. So so although I'm a fan and I know the players' names, it, that's not my surroundings. If I was working at the club or I was a player for the team or I was on the coaching staff, then I would be surrounded by, I'd be in the presence of relegation. And I wanted to bring us back to that idea because, because of that choice that we have. And the bits that come with it. If we're going to be worshipping with our whole lives, if we're going to be surrounded by Jesus, we need to do what I've done with the woodland today. I need to put myself in a place where even if I have to break through something in order to get here, I will be surrounded. I will be absolutely, you know, covered round by, in my case right now, physically woodland. But spiritually, as we look at what Paul says, surrounded by the presence of Jesus. We can't do that just by hoping. We have to choose it by engaging. My own um, quiet times this week, my devotional time this week, has included looking, spending some time looking at this idea uh, of, of what Jesus said when he's being tempted uh, in the wilderness, uh, where he says, man won't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's a reference back to, I think, Deuteronomy 5. I did look it up, but I can't remember it. Um, and, and I wanted to dwell a little bit on the idea of what it means to live on bread or live by Jesus. Because, of course, God isn't saying you won't need to eat. He provided manna in the wilderness. He knows that people need to eat. Um, what it does mean, I think, as I, what I'm starting to engage with is, is this idea that I can look to various things to nourish me. And many of them are good for me. And that includes, uh, when it comes to my emotional health, things like time on my own. Um, but ultimately, the, the one place I can guarantee to receive life, to, to be blessed by life and grace and peace, is with Jesus. And so choosing to surround myself with him 
takes me to a life of worship, takes me to a place where he isn't my context, but he is my presence. And like those <clears throat> living in the presence of war, you get to a point where if you put yourself really in the middle of that situation, there is nothing else that will shape you other than that presence. Let's pray and then we'll ask some questions. Lord Jesus, we recognise again the wonder of your uh, sacrificial life and death, the wonder of your resurrection and your ascension to be with your Father. We thank you for those things. Would you help us to recognise the power of them? Would you help us to step into the chance to have our lives transformed by that sacrificial and uh, triumphant power? Amen. Okay, question one is about how we build worship in to how we live day to day. I have a calendar provided by Care for the Family and one of the things it was saying this week was about how we, uh, as if we're parents or if we have people around us who we live with, it's good for us to um, maybe sing along with the worship music that's on the stereo or on the radio. Uh, it's good for us to... Um, to pray aloud and, and with others or where others might find us not so we can make people uncomfortable so, but so that they can see how full uh, how fully our worship uh, is intertwined with our life so that's a long preamble but the question is this how are you going to bring more worship into your day-to-day -day living how are you going to bring more worship into your day-to-day -day living Question two comes out of some time I spent with the Bethel small group recently. Now I'm talking there about the rule of life, this idea that there is uh, kind of a need for a, a, a trellis, that the concept of rule of life is, is much to do with the, the idea of a trellis. Um, and that uh, a clematis or a honeysuckle will bind itself to um, a trellis in order to climb and thrive. And, and part of what happens there is that the plant goes comes back into and back round and back connected with the trellis now rule of life gives us an opportunity to build into our rhythm of being into our into our holy habits if you like a connection with god several times a day so the question is kind of you know what are you going to make your rule of life how is your worship going to be included in the patterns in the holy habits that you are developing and if you don't have any it's okay but kind of where do you want to start? What do you want to do first? This is one of those questions where sharing with others is part of what makes it work. If you sit on your own and think, well, I could try so-and-so and don't have the support of other people, it's likely to be harder work. So share with each other what your holy habits are or, or how you want to grow them or which ones you want to start so that your life of worship can have helpful trellis to climb on. Question three, what needs to make way? I spoke about a pedestal earlier and uh, I'm reminded sometimes of that fourth pedestal in Trafalgar Square which changes what sits on it from time to time. There are pedestals in our lives and we put things on them as things that we look up to or, or want to revere or want to make sure are always um, visible in our lives. Sometimes though we need to take things off pedestals 
because that's where God belongs. That's where our relationship with Jesus is going to thrive, where, when Jesus himself is on the pedestal in our lives. And we look up to him and, and trust him and build our lives around him. So what needs to come off the pedestal or what needs to come off various pedestals in your life so that Jesus can be the one who is worshipped? Well, that's it for this session. Thank you for being with us. And I do trust that you'll keep coming with us as we go further through this um, series of being church and thinking about what it means to do that and to do that together. Take care. God bless. And I'll see you soon.